Sega se va a Hello everyone, my name is Don Merton, born and raised Six Nations Grand River, and I was able to come on to the Aunties of Dandelion as one of the emergent aunties. We're going to be doing our podcast here. with Jody Lynn Miracle. So if you want to introduce yourself. Hey everybody, my name is Jody, and I was born and raised in Buffalo, New York. Mohawk families from Tandanega. Currently live in Brantford, just like a stone's throw from six, and I'm excited to be here to chat with Nigaru Yeah, Yeah, talking a little bit about what we wanted to chat today about really interested in language and art and family and different land-based practices revitalization like that sort of thing Jody and I we already know each other I met Jody while studying my language journey at Ongawana Gunjokwa and so I was just going to ask you if you could talk about your language journey, how you came to language, what brought you to language. Yeah, big question, long winding road as many people who come back to the language have. It's really like a straight shot. I already said that I grew up in Buffalo, New York, so off territory and didn't have a lot of connection to culture or what it meant to be Mohawk, but I knew that Mohawk was one of my grandfather's first languages. And I was a language nerd as a kid from the get-go, like any language I could, sign language, Spanish, French, Japanese, any word I could get my hands on, I just tucked it away and I whipped it out whenever possible. It was around the time that I think I was like 12 or 13 maybe when I first heard of the immersion program in Six Nations and like my grandfather had gotten me, I forget what they're called, but it's like old school cassettes and like a paper book. I think it was Dewatadi, maybe it was called, but it was one of kind of the early resources that was disseminated through the community because he had been asked by a few different people as one of the last speakers of Gontege dialect, but he never wanted to be a part of that or be in the classroom. The only time he really spoke was with his siblings, especially his brother. And I gathered usually if they wanted to talk about whatever, whoever was around or things yeah. like that. So I got it in my head that I really wanted to do this. And I remember it was later in my teenage years, you know, I found a recording of the, and this is also, you know, I'm 38. So this is when the internet was not what it is today. So when I say like, I found something, I had to really dig, find recordings. Yeah. It was like the CRKZ word list. I had to email them for this word list that wasn't even alphabetized just to have some vocabulary. Yeah. But I got this recording of the Ohondo Garibadekwa from Ganasatage. And I remember sitting there and listening to it and I didn't know how to write it but I wrote what I heard as best I could and I'd be like okay if we keep repeating this word this must be the giving thanks word and mm. then this word keeps changing so this must mean strawberry this must mean people this like I was just whatever I had I was really trying to pull apart I would sit in my work breaks at spot coffee downtown in Buffalo yeah. and that's like what I would do for the whole half hour I wouldn't even eat that was like my project I think a lot of it had to do with really putting my nose to the grindstone, so to speak, with it, because I had my younger brother, I'm about 11 years older than him. Like a lot of families, rough around the edges, yeah. boozing, a yeah. little bit of trouble, yeah. a couple of families here and there per guy. But 
I wanted to show him that there was something more to being Mohawk than mm-hmm. what we had grown up being shown. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I got my act together, I'll say. I had a mm-hmm. real rough patch. Yeah. I really didn't think I'd make it out alive, but I got my act together, and I went back to school, and I got my graduate degree, and while I was doing my master's, I not only found out I was pregnant, but I found out they were offering the first year of Ongwanagan Jokwa curriculum in Buffalo, New York. Hmm. And I'd actually been accepted to Trent University for the PhD program, which was like my goal, one of my other big goals, but they had that language program and I was really on the fence. And then like, I think like only a week after that, I found out my dad had terminal cancer Hmm. and it really became like, all right, you're going to stay here. You're going to do grad school. You're going to be pregnant. You're going to help out with your dad and you're going to do the immersion program because just all these things have to happen at once like we're just going to go hard and do this and I remember like I missed half the year but it was like you know when you have those core memories of a kid Mm -hmm. it's almost like every second of being in that classroom with with your sister going to Yosta yeah is like a core memory like I could play it back like a tape recorder like I was just so lit up and I felt like I was living my life again finally after Mm -hmm. years of floating through and I just really felt like it felt so right to be learning this to be doing this Mm -hmm. and especially pregnant with my now nine-year-old to know that she's able to be hearing the language as soon as she chose to come earthside and what a big thing that is yeah I finish that up and I cried during my final exam with Oana Deca because I was so anxious. I just turned red and I was like, I don't even know what you asked me and but I'm going to tell you all of this and I just cried and told him pretty much exactly what I told you but in Mohawk yeah. somehow. Yeah. And I passed and that's good. I'm nice. sure he thinks I'm a weirdo still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I finished that up and I kind of I was loving raising my oldest and being a stay-at-home parent, but then that kind of, the relationship with her dad fell apart and we parted Mm. ways and I was really left with no money. I had been a stay-at-home parent, so I wasn't working. I ended up somehow deciding to start driving back and forth to six. I wasn't even taking the program, but just to keep up with language when I could Mm. because there wasn't a Mohawk-speaking population in Buffalo. And it was around the time when my oldest, Yehua Jorunos, was going to start school, I couldn't put her in a Buffalo school. Like, I I couldn't just put her to have her speaking Mohawk as one of her first languages, to have been Mm -hmm. able to give her so much time and love and warmth and just growing up loving who she is, and then to dump her into a mainstream public school system. Mm -hmm. I just, I couldn't move out of the U.S. where I was living at the time. And I started driving from Buffalo, New York to Six Nations every day, each way, so that she could go to Skoronyos at Goa, Everlasting Tree School, and so I could do the second year of the Mohawk Immersion Program. And for the listeners who don't know, it is one hour and 40 minutes one way from (laughs) the west side of Buffalo (laughs) to Six Nations. And as crazy as it was, it felt so right. It was that same feeling of just being like lit up and turned on and back mm-hmm. in my body and there was no way that I could mistake that it wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah. I eventually graduated from second year and oh yeah, when I was doing second year I started teaching Mohawk at the University of Buffalo too, which was awesome. Yeah. And um nice. yeah, and it was just really great to get so many people engaged with the language. When it started it was mostly native people and some elders and families. Mm-hmm. Um, And it was amazing to be on the teaching side of things. You know, that ended, that was 2019. And I found out, like, no, September, October of 2019 that I was pregnant with my second child. And I'd already been really like, I got to move up there. I can't. She just, like, wasn't going to school because I just was like, I'm not putting her in. (laughs) We're not doing it. We'll figure something out. And a job magically opened up at Skoronyos at Goa, and I applied, and I got it. And literally in a week's time, we packed up our entire lives. We found a place to live in Brantford, where we still live now. I started a new job. She went back to school. I was doing crazy shit pregnant again. And then the pandemic happened, right? Yeah. And things shut down. 
Um, but it was amazing because at the time in the early years program, we were all advanced speakers. There were four mm. of us working there. We were all advanced speakers. And you could tell that we really just elevated each other. And like in this really like loving, natural, wholesome way, like it wasn't that kind of like the immersion programs are intense, right? Yeah. And you're getting drilled and you're getting grilled and you got to know it. And the class is moving on whether you're ready or not. But there mm -hmm. was just like a warmth and an ease and the joy of the children around. And it really mm -hmm. felt like a living language and not like this thing I had been learning. Yeah. I had my mat leave and then I went back and then I had another mat leave because I got yeah. three kids now, but I'm just like, you know, now I'm in a position where um, I was real bummed. I had to turn down actually teaching at Ongoanic and Jokwa. It just wasn't working out with my personal life and childcare. I remember being asked and I just burst into tears because I was like, who would have thunk this like yeah. kid from Buffalo who didn't know shit about being Mohawk could like, you know, bring this back for her kids, mm -hmm. right? So they don't have to do that same work. Mm -hmm. I'm excited now to be like working on a project about L1 speakers and how they interact with babies and building these resources oh, to get a cool. nest going in Six Ew. Nations and just really like these opportunities keep coming where I can't be like, I keep trying to run from what I'm supposed to be doing and it's not working. It's coming for you. <laughs> yeah, so that's yeah. Like, like very long-winded language journey. Yeah. But now for that, yeah, there's, yeah. Um, there's a couple of different things I wanted to pick out. Jody and I previously met, but I was unaware of uh, your family history of the mm. language too. Thank you for sharing that about your, about your grandpa. I feel like a lot of those stories are are still in our personal family stories. A lot mm -hmm. of the language learners in community, I was able to do a podcast with Paulette and a lot what we spoke about was language and the loss of language mm -hmm. too. And for listeners who don't know, the Haudenosaunee, there are 17 Haudenosaunee communities across Canada and the United States. There are seven Mohawk communities. And from those seven Mohawk communities here in Oswego, we have critically endangered language. And when you talk about these populations of language speakers, I can really, um, even though you lived in lived and grew up in an urban setting, I can still connect to that sense that um, where do we access this community mm -hmm. of language speakers? Mm -hmm. um, because here, like I was born and raised, um, went to Gawaneo my whole life was an immersion still wasn't a speaker mm -hmm. because there wasn't many first language speakers mm -hmm. the community was just the community of speakers was just so small yeah. and yeah I just wanted to thank you for all that and that's cool getting to know a little bit more yeah. of your background and what you're <laughs> yeah, doing and can I, can I say something jumping yeah. off what you said just talking about community of speakers the person I got to speak with the most is one of my dearest friends in the world Gajitio Nicole but we were together like all the time with Yewa and it really was like she helped raise a first language speaker mm -hmm. too, you know, mm -hmm. and like my oldest dad, like he went through the Mohawk program and but he focuses on his language, Tuscarora, mm -hmm. but you know, Gaji Gio was like really like anteing up to make sure we held that like yeah. space for her mm -hmm. in this really beautiful way where she yeah. just like, doesn't think anything of it now, you know? Yeah really near and dear to my heart and um i actually do <laughs> work with i work at school and go and now i'm currently a teacher there and teaching one of your children <laughs> there at the school we have a really try to take a a holistic approach and we mix waldorf inspired education with haudenosaunee pedagogy genie gordy and that's our way of life our way of living and i've been there for just about this is my second year, year and a half I've been there. But just really beautiful to see the deep connection and the deep mm -hmm. relationships that are formed in the language, in the community, mm -hmm. and really at that school, really creating a community of mm -hmm. speakers. And when you talk about these spaces that we can access, holding space that is immersion is really something that I think about a lot and how do we create more immersion spaces in community or how can we have language more accessible in community is just things that's been on my mind for the last while the other thing there's a couple other things i, I was wanting to chat i do know you are an artist 
You didn't. Uh, so I'm told. I identify as an artist, but I was really interested in one of your past exhibits, Why Here, Why Now. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. Why Here, Why Now was in the late summer, I think August of 2019. Yeah, I didn't know I was pregnant yet. And it was part of the Squeaky Wheel Silo City Workplace Residency in Buffalo, New York. And I remember trying to cut, like, trying to come up with a project proposal for people who don't know. Silo City is a, a set of old grain silos, um, kind of just a little south of downtown Buffalo, um, from like the heyday of industry that's kind of. You know, when they first started using it as a performance space, it was just dilapidated, you know, silos that people would do performances in. And it's been built up into, there's restaurants and bars and bike trails not too far. You can go to a couple of restaurants. So it's really evolved over time. And I was trying to come up with a project proposal. And all that I could really propose was that I knew it had something to do with the story of the Buffalo Creek Reservation, that it had something to do with the Treaty of Canandaigua of 1794, and that it had something to do with my personal relationship to this place, but also my personal frustrations. And mm -hmm. I could be standing in the same spot throughout Western New York and be having a totally different experience of it than people a half foot away from me in any direction, mm -hmm. only because I know the story of this land. I know who's responsible. I know the story of these plants. I know what this little slice of creation has been through. And I also believe that we as Ongohome, we are not only responsible for like reserve lands or lands that are within our territorial mm -hmm. boundaries. We're responsible for where we are at that moment in our ancestral homelands. And mm -hmm. I like carry that very deeply given that I was raised off territory. And that's essentially what I proposed, and I was shocked that they were like, okay, sure, let's see what you do. <laughs> like, what do you nice. got? You know, nice. I was like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember, like, having this panic moment, because somebody will have 8 million ideas. I don't know which one is good. I'm just swimming in, like, holy yeah. crap, what's going to come out? And, and that's also why I like performance and installation, because eventually mm -hmm. people show up. I can't, like, put the painting away. Like, people are going to come and walk through the door, and I better have something. Yeah. Um, but I remember being in the silos and I just happened to have a, a rattle that was like in the car from Yewa. She just had left it in there and I happened to have it in the space. And I kind of just started like shaking it. And it was this incredible reverberation in mm -hmm. these acoustics. And grain silos are these huge cylinders. <laughs> yeah. They're like circular spaces. And I just started singing. I don't even remember what like women's dance song. Mm -hmm. And I just started shuffling and like my flip-flops and even that sound was so eerie. And I had this moment of like, when was the last time that this land felt these songs and these dances mm -hmm. that are done to honor them? When was the last time that we carried our responsibility to perform those dances and sing those songs for mm -hmm. all of creation, for all of the earth? And also really interrogating what it means to be, you know, part of it is that, you know, that energetic connection between our movements and our songs and the earth and what it means to be cut off with all this concrete everywhere that we go. And I just had the flash of knowing that, okay, there's singing and there's dancing and we'll take it from there. Nice. Yeah. And so it kind of evolved from, from there a bit. I, it, what I knew was also important to me was that the audience wouldn't be just at a far entrance of the silo. I wanted them lining the round part of the silo as I'd be dancing around. For people who don't know, we kind of face forward or maybe slightly in when we do a skinier, and then for part of the song, you turn outwards and you move outwards and it forced the audience to reckon with hmm. my presence. You can't mm -hmm. just call it a piece of history. You can't call it a quaint performance. I'm not there to educate you. You need to bear witness to this moment. And so I chose to create concentric circles based on our celestial tree motifs that you'll see in beadwork or, you know, now it's on pottery shirts, mm -hmm. right? So it's these concentric circles, you know, getting bigger. And I used that as an inspiration, you know, looking top down. In the middle, there was, it's Haudenosaunee white corn that I ground and, and I burned. 
to have that smell fill the space because our roasted corn comes from the raising of these villages mm -hmm. from the Clinton Sullivan campaign. It comes from hundreds of generations of food stores just destroyed and people mm -hmm. left to watch their children starve to death. And I had dirt and more unburned white corn and I had corn husks. And then I had a salt ring around the edge of it as the final kind of ring. And as I danced, I was barefoot on this concrete floor but I kept spreading and messing this up. And I did this for a half hour. And it was really <laughs> physically intense and yeah. demanding. And I could tell at first people were very like stoic watching me. And, oh, okay, I get it. You're in her face. Right, great song, very Indian, mm -hmm, wonderful. Mm -hmm. But as things went on, I saw people be like, are you going to stop? Are you done? Or they're really looking at my feet or now they won't even look at me. Mm. Or some people started like that awkwardness of what do I do in this moment? Mm -hmm. Because I am just here occupying this space, watching all this effort to put this thing through potentially futilely. And what does that mean for me mm -hmm. as an audience member? And also worth noting is I wore a dress that was made out of annuity cloth, which is the only piece of the Treaty of Canandaigua that's upheld. I yeah. made it out of annuity cloth gifted to me from my kids' families, from mm -hmm. my daughter's Tuscarora family, my eldest, and then my younger two's, their Seneca family on their dad's side. And um, I wore an apron as well. And I asked somebody to sing who was born and raised in Buffalo as well. That felt very important to the performance. Yes. And in the outer chambers outside of the silo, I had driven the boundaries of the Buffalo Creek Reservation as it stood, as it stands mm -hmm. today, and it took about an hour and a half. So those were projected, the four cardinal directions, mm -hmm. larger than life, filling this space for people, even if they couldn't get closer, they're staring at close enough to see me mm -hmm. they're staring at these images and they're hearing and feeling the reverberations of this yeah. song and they're hearing my yeah. panting and my breath and they're hearing this very ethereal these bits of corn and corn husk and like mm. you can't escape either they're smelling it there's no escape you can look yeah. away but you cannot escape this yeah and I re-performed it at an event at a different set of silos that had a smaller attendance um but the same general format. But what was most telling there is there was this um, white woman who I later found out is a curator and she wouldn't move for me. And directly where yeah. she wouldn't move was this giant hunk of jagged rusted metal and I'm barefoot. And I like had to be like super cautious to make it between her very slender body when she had 10 feet in the other direction, this concrete pillar in the front and this like jagged piece of metal <laughs> until this, this dark skinned um, man who was standing there yelled at her and went, would you just move? Do you not care what's going to happen to her? And also at the second performance, there was this man, this white man, who kept shaking a rattle that he brought to the performance oh, every yeah. time. And then at their words, he kept saying, yeah. and I was just like, I got to write an essay about you too, because there's yeah. a lot to read yeah. into this. But I also turned it into a short film that was just at the Haudenosaunee Micro oh, nice. Short Film Festival. And I'm really proud of how it came together. Mm. Because for the longest time, for like years, we thought the footage was just lost. There were like mm. cameras and sound recorders, and it felt so spiritual that there was no footage <laughs> of the <laughs> thing. But they just didn't remember what hard drive they put it on. Yeah. But I'm really proud of how that piece came together, too, because it boiled down this very physically demanding. For me, it was more about a gift back to these lands that have not mm. felt these songs and dances or heard this language in centuries mm -hmm. and to now have the way the video came together is you don't see me dance you don't see me move you see me sit down and you see some snippets from this footage of buffalo creek you hear the singing you hear my feet shuffle and then it like cuts back to me and i'm just sweaty and i am red-faced and i'm Yo. like panting and it's for me it's about the visibility of the labor that we do mm -hmm. as Honga to maintain literally creation, our languages, our sanity, Yo. loving our children, Yo. healing generational trauma. Right? Yeah. 
And like Sky Woman, she did those dances, pregnant, scared, alone, mm. thankless, yeah. and from a deep place of trauma. We forget all this trauma she went mm -hmm. through we, and like all of this horrible stuff she did because she was so traumatized yeah. to her grandkids because she was imperfect too, but mm -hmm. she did her best and mm -hmm. she put her body on the line to put forward the best that she could to create something better, mm -hmm. even if it was, she was a jerk sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I haven't thought about that project in a minute. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm offer that because I was really interested. I was not able to attend any of the live performances. I wish I could have, but I was able to see the the videos of Buffalo Creek and some the second performance in the, a video that you had shared mm -hmm. and some pictures with that as well. But I was really interested without any context, just that title alone had got me really thinking about my own self. And I feel a lot of the time being a second language speaker, doing revitalization, a lot of this, we say coming back to tradition. It's really bringing that tradition forward and into the present day. And when I thought about that title, just the title alone got me thinking, why the heck am I here? Yeah. And why, yeah. why here? Why now? Why was my spirit sent to yeah. 20? And at the time of that, so that was right before pandemic. Months and so before. all during pandemic, <laughs> I was thinking of that. <laughs> Why the heck here and why the heck now? And what am I doing? Um, I feel a lot of the time the ones who are working in language and working to revitalize culture and different land bases, a lot of what I understand and what I know about that is when it comes to our Indigenous communities, having access to language and mm -hmm. culture is not a reality for many people. Mm -hmm. And because of traumas, because of residential school, mm -hmm. because of colonial violence that had happened, there's still a lot of work to be done, but also it's, it's yeah, why here, why now? I'm a 21st century native. I got Wi-Fi. <laughs> I got a phone. We're on these million dollar, I don't know, these Over nice the equipment. Day, I don't know what I'm going to order for dinner. <laughs> yeah. Go skip the dishes sometimes. I don't know. But I... Just me and my pers just me and my personal relationship with just your just the title of that art piece had I want to thank you for getting me to our allowing me the opportunity to better understand my own work and my the things that we do because that was a realization in the last couple of years pandemic really got me thinking mm -hmm. but just seeing the beauty within that we there's there's many different communities of indigenous mm -hmm. we don't just have reserved communities there's diverse and urban and indigenous communities all over mm -hmm. and there was a couple other things you brought up that really got me thinking just now is about this witnessing aspect mm -hmm. but also this consuming aspect of art that not a lot of the times indigenous peoples are i have my own personal experiences but this this way that just our being just our presence can be consumed like we need to this idea about because i i feel the same too that we need to interject interject our own 21st century mm -hmm. identity into present in all spaces within the world, urban setting, rural mm -hmm. setting, wherever, that this is all still our original homelands and we did still have interactions with all these lands in North America. Mm -hmm. And that witnessing aspect really, really got me thinking. And the way you described your video, I, I think that's just I'll beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to see it. I want to see it. But I think that is just beautiful how that how those two performances were could only be really witnessed mm -hmm. and there's some i think there's something special and i think about that witnessing but also this idea of being present so i don't know if you want to yeah. speak more on that At first i want to say now for sharing i didn't <laughs> that's what the, i didn't i forgot to speak about the title but that was really where it was coming from is that almost like a place of frustration right of it's easy to romanticize and be like man why couldn't i just been born when we we're in our long houses and everybody but i'm like forgetting six out of ten kids died before age one that's why we didn't have names <laughs> yeah. but like it's easy to really just like 
get wrapped up in romanticizing something that might not have existed, at least for me. Mm. I think I was doing that and really that performance was about owning where I'm from, mm -hmm. what I look like, the story of my relationships to this place, to these people, mm. to choosing to learn the history and really sitting with um, that uncomfortability of maybe finding comfort in being okay with, I don't need to have all the answers. Cause I think it also came from a place of my taught at university for almost 10 years, mostly mm -hmm. non-native people, almost exclusively mm -hmm. indigenous things. And it was really hard to have people be so cold mm -hmm. or just want an answer or tell you it didn't happen. And I feel like making and creating art, especially this piece really allowed me to sit in those messy, that messiness, right? Mm -hmm. All of these layers, right? And really just exploring and presenting that. But you brought up a really good point about this consumption aspect. I was really, you know, I started making art, like putting it out there when my oldest, so like eight, nine years ago about. And again, it was kind of to show her, like, if you don't choose to follow what's in your heart to do, nobody's mm -hmm. going to do it for you. But even then, I was really cautious. I knew I didn't want to, like, I'm doing air quotes, like, just make pretty Indian art. Mm -hmm. Like, I wanted to force people to to experience layers of what I was making. And by that, I'm always conscious of, okay, what would maybe any... Joe off the street, take from this piece, whatever mm. piece I'm doing. What would maybe an indigenous person or non-native person who knows some broadly indigenous history take from this? But with the core is like, what would a Haudenosaunee person experience from this? Mm. What would a Haudenosaunee person, like that's like who I want to most engage mm -hmm. with. And just thinking about why here, why now, somebody asked me in a Q&A after its original performance, how did you come up with that wonderful choreography just to suit this space? And I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you probably have no idea what any of this is about. Okay, yeah. pregnant lady falls from the sky and I go through, this is the dance she did and this mm -hmm. is the, what the songs are and we do it circular anyways and this, that and the other. But it really struck me that how, how much it, people assumed it came from a me place instead mm -hmm. of an us place, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And I think to me coming from balancing the me and the us is part of what I think I like the strings that I pull on a bit mm -hmm. to maybe push back against that palatability or that easy consumability. Mm -hmm. And also that I, I no longer feel the need to educate Right. There is no little pamphlet to be like, what you'll witness this evening <laughs> yeah, is yeah. Da, 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 da. It's like you come in and you sit with this, but you don't get to like, you know, everything as soon as it was done was immediately cleaned up. It mm. was gone. It was like nothing ever happened in there. It was like a ghost. Nice. Right. Yeah. And that's also somebody else had asked me, a curator, how do you sell this kind of thing? You can't perform this work anywhere else. And I was like, that's kind of the point. It's for this place. Mm -hmm. It was not for you. It was, yeah. I am terrible with finances. So this is right <laughs> in line with that. But yeah. it was for this place. Yeah. And you have to bear witness to what that looks like mm -hmm. without centering yourself, right? Or mm -hmm. centering what kind of, um, kind of price tag. Or can I hang this in my home? Because I think, too, a lot of when people think of air quotes Indian art, it is very antiquated. I love our beadwork. I love these older items, but they're in a museum and they're static. Or they might know some more contemporary artists, but just like one piece that they saw in a museum, static, mm -hmm. removed. They don't know anything. They yeah. didn't have to confront yeah. any piece beyond an object mm -hmm. in a sterile setting. Mm -hmm. And even other installations I've done, I make sure that there's always something, that there's also a smell element. You can't escape that. You're not going to walk around playing your clothes, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. You can just look at something and look away, or you can, like, hear a song and then take a phone call, right? Mm -hmm. But, like, I really like that, um, maybe that sensory assault of mm -hmm. forcing an attention, whether you want to or not, of forcing you to confront these realities the same way that we have to, whether we yeah. want to or not. 
thinking about how excited everyone was for the revitalization of Buffalo and what was going on with the silos, mm -hmm. but at the same time being like, this whole thing is a testament to the complete destruction of the strength of our Confederacy yeah. that led to the Buffalo Creek Reservation as a refugee community mm -hmm. that led to like the formation of Six Nations. You know, like you can yeah. trace the stories of so many of our communities from this one event, but everybody's like, fuck yeah, the canal. I'm going to go to the Lipat <laughs> Blue Silos. I'm going to go kayaking. And that stuff's all cool, but it's so short-sighted. And I don't remember your original. Oh, consumption and yeah, witnessing. And presence. And presence. I love that, bringing in the difference. And I just think that's so, so beautiful. And a lot of the time, I have frustrations of my own that in mainstream society... There is very little spaces where there is a strong indigenous presence or just this way that how can our presence insert, uphold or, you know, have relationship to all this past history of our peoples. But at the same time, how do these, our homelands, our traditional territories, how are those histories of our people being told in in present-day Canada, present-day United States, that even in the city of Buffalo, there's a huge Haudenosaunee population, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but what's the history and what's the stories and what is the general understanding of all the, all the people that live in that city? Mm -hmm. I think it's in a lot of, not only Canada, but also in the United States, there's this lack of understanding of Indigenous history, this, that the colonial agenda was to remove presence. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I just really love the way that art and you in doing performance art, visual art, soundscapes, how that brings in so many layers of complexity and so many layers of history just in, in that one performance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking, I'm just having a million yeah. things to think about now. You make a really good point, though, because it was like something that I just experienced my whole life going to schools where I was like the only native kid but it's weird because like then people be like like pocahontas just came out mm. and they got weird questions i'm like i don't know man i live with my white mom she's real nice i love my aunts and so yeah. what do you want me to say i'm like 10 yeah <laughs> you know that hyper visibility especially in the mm. u.s because like in canada native people are like at least there's aptn or it's yeah. like the largest min minority in air quotes right mm -hmm. but in the u.s there was really nothing and it was scary sometimes looking back like how freely people would just like call you the s word and not realize it's a bad word if they found out that you're yeah. native or like how violent people got about changing mascots for like a high mm. school in western new york or like when i did work to change the name of what's now called unity island in buffalo it had a very, it had a racial sexist slur for a name and like people would see me just like in the grocery store and just call me that or like throwing what? like cigarette butts in my kid's stroller while I'm just like taking her for a walk. It's like they were like so attached to the ownership of who they thought a native person should be mm -hmm. and how quiet and hidden and shoved away and palatable we should be mm -hmm. and like for people who don't know what I look like I'm real pasty light eyes light hair <laughs> white people would be like use that to be like I have a great great Cherokee grandma princess and I'm okay with it mm. I'd be like okay just because we both get sunburned does not mean that you get <laughs> yeah. to like enter yeah. this conversation yeah. and it is that hyper visibility and I think that it was just like it felt good to stop feeling bad about what other people didn't know Mm -hmm. about trying to like make myself small just to avoid another stupid conversation I didn't want to have. Mm -hmm. and, but I think a lot of that came too from not just grounding myself in the language. I've been going to Longhouse for 10 years and knowing that was one of the hardest things I ever had to do was walk into Longhouse on my own with my kid driving mm -hmm. from Buffalo for midwinters. No classmates there. No teacher brought me. And I was just like, this is what we're doing. This is what you're growing up with. And, like, I remember sometimes I'd be like, that was way scarier than these people being jerks in the grocery store line yeah. right now. Like, <laughs> yeah. That was way harder than yeah. this. But like, having something to, like, to better understand what it means to be on Guajome mm. is really, I think, what allowed me to start making 
putting myself out there with my artwork mm -hmm. or being comfortable even doing panels and stuff or I don't know I don't have a neat bow on that thought but just really thinking about what it means to be like physically present for these things mm -hmm. and really how upset people can be when you don't fit their idea of how things of how you're supposed to act or look or you're supposed to say or what actually happened or what is going to happen or what's right what's wrong you know um, yeah, man. That first midwinter, I went by myself. That was real yeah. scary. Even showed up late. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, do you have any art in the works? Do you have any art that people can access? Mm -hmm. And is there trying to relate? What do you see? This do you see a relationship in a way that art and how art and language can be worked together or how can they amplify each other? I think maybe I want to like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'll answer that question in a minute. But <laughs> yeah. like that question you asked about kind of art and language amplifying each other, you know, I want to like unfold that a little more because I've really been thinking about in the mainstream world, there's art and then there's like everything else. Like it's this separate thing that mm -hmm. isn't necessary at all, mm -hmm. right? Like air quotes, it's like part of being human, but it's very removed for yeah. a lot of people. But I think for us, like, not just linguistically, but as Haudenosaunee, like, when I think of making or, like, those of you, if you who don't know, Nikonuhya and I, like, do hide tanning stuff and it's, like, <laughs> oh, yeah. wonderful. That's it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, like, when I think of doing this work with hides or porcupine quilling or even sewing with, like, fabric or doing beadwork mm -hmm. or even, like, making corn braids or, like, the Ohondagari with Dequan is not just like a thanks, that was great, glad we're alive, that's yeah. cool. It's a description of our relationships and mm -hmm. our reciprocity with all of these pieces of creation. And for me, making is how it is most exemplified in living that relationship, mm -hmm. in living that reciprocity. And so much of that is embedded in the language. When we mm -hmm. use the language to describe what we're doing or talk about what we're doing, there's no word for art in our language because it is who we are mm -hmm. at our core. We are yeah. makers. We are living in relationship and reciprocity with creation and with each other like if you have a skill set that i don't have great i'm gonna train i'm gonna help yeah. you we're gonna bolster and support each other just like a great example is somebody's a good hunter somebody's a good cook somebody's good at processing the hide somebody's good at making fish hooks out of the bones somebody's mm -hmm. good at making the sinew and we bring all those pieces together and we are wearing beautiful clothes with full bellies yeah. and lots of laughs, <laughs> while we work together yeah. Yeah. and for me there's no way that we can disentangle like art and language and culture mm -hmm. and it's i try not to get on my soapbox about it because I am so passionate about mm -hmm. that and showing that to my kids or kids that I've worked with or in my day-to-day -day life that I think we're still at a place of, of coming of scarcity or afraid that we're losing it that mm. when even looking at funding structures it's like there's language funding there's arts funding there's culture funding there's food funding mm -hmm. but it is all who we are yeah. and deeply intertwined in a way that it's not in the English language or in mainstream mm -hmm. society. Because, you know, you could not go to Longhouse for years and still be like living Yungwari Honos, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and doing that for yourself and having that reciprocity with human and non-human entities and ancestors. And I want to loop back around. I can't remember what you said, but it made me, you're talking about kind of these, our presence today and these historical generational truths that we live with mm -hmm. as well and it was I feel so bad that I forget the name now from Oneida one sister started researching like Haudenosaunee star knowledge oh. and she passed away and her sister picked up the torch mm -hmm. and she did a presentation over zoom and it was like some of her sister's recordings and some of her sharing but so much of it was about grief as well which yeah. is like a very central Haudenosaunee reality mm -hmm. But she shared something that was so beautiful. When somebody passes away and they go back, part of what happens is their knowledge and their gifts comes back to the people that mm. they loved and were in relationship with. And when I thought of that and how many times that's happened to build up who we mm -hmm. are, like we talk about intergenerational stuff is always the trauma, but think about the intergenerational beauty and yeah. knowledge and truths yeah. and what we're drawn to and we don't know why and mm -hmm. making and talents or even stuff we suck at. Like yeah. it's all coming from a place that is not just individually us. Um, mm -hmm. 
And so in closing, you have to do it all to be a good host. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh man, yo! Thank you for that. All the heck, I'm almost crying over here. Yeah, that's just beautiful. And you mentioned that before: is how can we not only honor ourselves in the here and now, but also this honoring of our past generations, of all those gifts passed down, of the knowledge, of the language, that was just really beautiful. And I think when it comes. When a lot of people who are in revitalizing or in these different things to try to uphold indigenous history, indigenous knowledge, indigenous life ways, indigenous ways of knowing, this loneliness or this frustration mm -hmm. that a lot of us can face, a lot of times it, it was the teachings that have saved me and it was the mm -hmm. teachings that reassured me and all these gifts were they, and that's what they say. What the heck am I doing with my life? <laughs> it's happening. It's yeah. happening. You're going to figure it out. <laughs> I think that was just all really beautiful. Yeah, I'm going to go for yeah, that. Yeah. Do you have any? I know you had your. Um, oh, yeah. We were talking about Hyde, but your last art project that I seen that was posted with the birch bark and the mm -hmm. hides. Mm -hmm. I think that's really. I don't know if you want to talk about yeah. that or talk about any yeah. art projects in the work or any coming yeah. up. Um, I love talking more about the heady stuff than myself. And <laughs> yeah. and you're like one of the few people I can really just go with it with, yeah. right? Who's there on the ride with me. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was my first solo show. Like my, you know, I've done mm. group shows or had solo performances, but that was my first solo show at Buffalo Art Studio this past January. Mm. And I was actually so heartbroken because it was during like, midwinters and it was going to be my baby girl's first midwinters. Yeah. And, and I'm proud of the work that ended up there. Mm -hmm. And it's not at all what I thought it would be. But it was also one of these things where I had to turn down throughout the pandemic, I think, seven different opportunities to work mm -hmm. with curators or institutions that really could have propelled me in big ways and some I said no to and some I just I didn't even have the mental wherewithal because I had the kids the pandemic I'm working mm -hmm. I'm teaching on zoom everything is like are we living like this forever <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah and that show though was like it was called where the rust meets the land mm -hmm. and it was very much rooted in these similar experiences of buffalo and place that I alluded to but so much of it was about tearing down and building back up mm -hmm. to almost every single piece in there had an element of destruction and then being reassembled mm -hmm. into something new. And I felt very personally at that time, like my youngest daughter, she had something going on that was never diagnosed. She literally would not sleep unless she was nursing, not like mm -hmm. sleep an hour, wake up and nurse. I was chained to the bed from like 8 p.m. until 5 a.m. I never slept. I had a couple of serious mental health episodes because mm -hmm. I was just delirious from lack of sleep. And somehow with Caleb's family support and Caleb's support and the kids just keeping it together, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> somehow we made that show happen. And I just remember trying to install it with her on my back and bawling from the lack mm -hmm. of sleep and not being able to have this moment I worked really hard for, but then realizing I was like, living what inadvertently the show was which was these points of destruction mm -hmm. and contention meeting these places of beauty and supports mm -hmm. and always those two truths existing at once mm -hmm. right which i was i remember just having this moment of like stringing up a piece and being like of course that's what this is about why wouldn't it be i can just have <laughs> done something straightforward that doesn't require yeah. like existential crisis yeah. Yeah, and, and one of the pieces is in the permanent collection of the museum down in Ohio. And nice. I'm really proud of that. It's right in the front foyer. It's made of torn up treaty cloth and different hides I tanned mm. and birch from up here in Six Nations. And each piece, the items where it's sourced from, almost every element has a relationship to people in my life, mm. even within the video works. And now... I'm pretty sure I have art stuff coming up that I'm blanking on. And that's so embarrassing <laughs> yeah. on recording. But I, you know, I'm finally getting into a place too where I'm not making just for like a show deadline, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm finally starting to have some breathing room for the first time in seven years to be like, let's think about long-term projects. What are mm -hmm. these going to look like? And I'm also finally able to start working on grants, some high tanning grants for the mm -hmm. school to make sure they have their own equipment 
that it's not just people volunteering all this time and it's great people want to donate, but we should also have financial support for mm -hmm. this knowledge or being able to do this language work because I don't think I could ever, quote unquote, just be an artist. Like I'm too nourished by helping create access to things that I'm grateful mm -hmm. to have access to yeah. with skill sets that I have. And if mm -hmm. I'm not doing that, I don't know, I might as well be like drinking absinthe at the turn of the last century with a bunch of white guys in France. Like, you know. Oh, yeah, I got something coming up at the Cube in Virginia next year. Um, it's like a giant 360 space. I'm reworking some of the Why Here, Why Now footage nice. and really editing the sound we have for this massive install. That'll be really cool. Nice. Is there anywhere we can access? So you mentioned oh, yeah. there is a per part of their permanent collection mm -hmm. in Ohio. Mm -hmm. What is the do you know the name of that museum? Onusoguete Cultural Center. I don't speak Seneca, so to <laughs> yeah. any Seneca listeners, I'm sorry for butchering. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's the Cultural Arts Center. It's just yeah. a really amazing space. And I also have a website, jodylynmiracle.com. I got to update that. And I'll also be adding some essays and poems that I've written. Um, nice. Some of it about the pieces I've worked on or realizing like the story I shared about mm. this very petite white woman who just couldn't find it in her to move until a black man yelled at her to move. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just like these kinds of stories. Um, but also these, I'm finding comfort in being vulnerable. Nice. Um, like I have an Instagram, but you almost never see my art there because it feels mm. maybe scary or people might reject the me that they know if they seek the intensity or the depth or maybe something mm. that makes them uncomfortable in this, right? But I have a website. If you want to see my cute kids on Instagram, it's at La Sauvagesse. Yeah. Uh, Is there anywhere we can access the videography or the um, short films? I'll be putting some of that up on my website. They're not up there now. Oh, but there will be another Haudenosaunee micro short film festival coming up in November. I don't know the date yet, but that'll be at the Niagara Falls Seneca Casino usually. So you'll be able to see not only Why Here, Why Now, but my eldest's second film, nice. Magic World 2. Yeah. As well as some really great work from other Haudenosaunee filmmakers in particular. There's this one like kid who's doing animation. I forget his name right now. Last name, I think, is Van Every. I think he's a Van Every, but just hilarious, great timing. I'm such a big fan. <laughs> so everybody show up for that and yeah. like cheer him on because I'm always just really trying to yeah. gas him up. Nice. <laughs> so yeah. Haudenosaunee Film Festival in Niagara, November. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's the short answer. <laughs> yeah. 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 Any last closing words you want to share? Yeah, it just feels we've been trying to make this happen for too long, but it really feels like this was the right time for it to happen. And I just want to say, you know, for being so present through this, I think it's something that I really personally needed to recenter and reground in kind of a murky time I'm going through and just, you know, for asking me, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, you know. Yeah.